Look at all you crazy people, just like me. You told the friends at work or those of you that are going to the golf course, what is it, the golf something around? I work for fun, so I don't even know what they call that anymore. And you said, oh, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing such and such. And then they said to you, what are you doing tonight? You said, I'm going to go and study the Old Testament laws of ancient Israel this evening. It's going to be awesome. But you and I both know it is the best portion of the evening during the week to get refreshed, re-equipped in the Word of God, just continuing forth. And So let's pray that He continues to fill us, <coughs> as Aidan was praying, to refresh us, to go back out into the world and to preach the gospel to everyone. Lord, we, we just do thank you that you preach to us, you speak to us from Genesis to Revelation and every word of every page. It amazes me to see your fingertips your fingerprints, Lord, all over every page as your word of life just comes into us and fold, it forms us and molds us. In Jesus' name, amen. And then you can pray that I can speak English the rest of this evening, too, because apparently, <laughs> apparently we're not doing very good. We're not the good start. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Thank you. The Holy Spirit interprets the groanings of the heart. That's what the Bible says. And that's, sometimes that's how my praying goes. Well, we are going to kick off right where we left off in chapter 25. We're going through more miscellaneous laws. They all weave together. They all work together, but they seem to be changing subjects rapidly. As the Holy Spirit is speaking through Moses to the nation of Israel, giving them the retelling of the law before they cross over the Jordan into the promised land. So let's pick up together verses 1 through 3. If there is a dispute between men, and they come to court that the judges may judge them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt, with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may give him and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows, above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight. So <clears throat> when it comes to law and order, the Bible is about justice, punishing the wicked. When someone does wrong, there is a punishment. And when this punishment is given out, and it's not a corporal punishment in terms of the death penalty, because many times we've been through the Old Testament law and we saw if you do this or that, if you do this or that, the punishment was death, death by stoning communally. But not every punishment is so harsh. Here, when they go before the court, they go before the judge, and they are given the punishment, they're found guilty, they can be given up to 40 lashes. It's foreign in the Bible to put a person in prison for life or put them in prison for decades for a particular punishment. In the Old Testament law, there is either a punishment by death or beating or restitution, meaning you're going to have to give back usually whatever you stole or whatever you lost. The book of Leviticus told us that, some verses in Exodus and here in Deuteronomy. It was whatever you had given plus 20% extra. And I'm not making a political commentary here on how our justice system, what our judgment, what's, what's uh, good, what's not, what's right, what's evil, 
I'm not saying that we should be people. I just think it's fascinating as an observation that in the Bible, putting somebody in a room for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years is just not found. The only time you find people being thrown into prison is from Gentiles, from non-Israel. There's multiple reasons for that, multiple reasons for that. But I think as Christians, we need to be looking at the justice system and saying, are we doing this because we've just always done this? Does this actually work? Are we doing this because it's just our tradition? You know, what is biblical and what is not? Let's look at the heart of the matter, though. The heart of the matter is this. Criminals, people that do wrongly, we have a written code in any government society that says what is right and what is wrong. And if you do that which is wrong and is written down, you are now a criminal. You're found guilty of that. And there is to be law and order and justice. There's to be a rectification for that. Because there's a big debate going on within our culture, at least today, about what is justice. Is justice even a thing? You know, maybe these people are, it's just this, the situation or the surroundings that they came from is not really their fault. The Bible will have none of that. To the point, and this is where things get, this is where we squirm in our chairs a little bit as Christians. To the point where in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that God has put those in authority over us to carry the sword. What do I mean by that? And well, in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, it says, For he, speaking of government, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And if you want to continue, if you want to have extra credit tonight because you're like upset with what I'm telling you here, read Romans chapter 13. It says that God put governments in place and they're ministers of him for peace and justice. What makes this difficult, what makes this squirm is we're like, well, he must be talking about Christian government. No, you must be talking about ancient tribal Judaism, that government. No. When Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote those words, he was speaking to the Romans in Rome about the Roman government, a government that in a few decades would be persecuting Christians. And there it says that they are there for good. Even, even let's take the extreme examples in the world today. Take the Taliban. Take North Korea, Iran. Governments that we would say are the worst, the most evil, they are executing in what they believe is justice, law and order. If we want to make an observation, the Taliban took power in Afghanistan for one of many reasons, and it was the corruption of the secular government that was in front of them. The people, when they're interviewed privately, because you can't have real... Um, public interviews of the average Afghani in the Afghanistan today, they would say, well, we don't really like the Taliban, but at least there's no corruption. At least there's punishment for people that steal or people that do that to the extreme. What, what point am I trying to make here? That even governments that we would say are the worst have some law and order of some kind. Now, what is justice, what is not, what is, um, what is evil or what is good. 
we see that ultimately the government has been given the authority of the sword and they bring peace. That anarchy is just not possible. It will just lead to destruction and the Bible will have none of it. We built that foundation because, again, you're sitting there at the water cooler and they talk about riots in a certain city or people stealing things or looting places or they talk about um, different types of violence or any, um, any example given of causing chaos and destruction, and you hear a defense of that, of that behavior. Absolutely not, from no one, especially let it not be known among Christians to act that way, because no. All right, back to the Bible portion. I, I wanted to talk about law and order, and I wanted to talk about the Bible's emphasis on it, and even governments that we say absolutely not, well, there's still good things about them. Not defending them. Don't say that I did. But we need to have a biblical perspective about justice. Now, what, what's up with the 40? What's up with the 40? Because if you have the 40 lashes and you go to the New Testament, Paul would say in Corinthians that many times he was given 40 lashes minus one. Well, there's two theories, and I think they're both right. Theory number one is that the New Testament Israel only gave 39 lashes because they wanted to show mercy. They didn't go to the full extent. Theory number two is the legalistic Judaizers that they are, they only did 39 because they were worried that they miscounted and would give 41. And so just to protect themselves, they would do 39. And really, they would have done 40, but they wanted to be super holy. When we think of um, that time period and we think of... um, Jesus telling the Pharisees, you, you tithe of your mint and your cumin, you tithe of the smallest thing. And he says, and you do well. So he didn't mock that. And we see their legalism. And then we look at extra biblical sources and we see these uh, legalists putting strings on them so that a Sabbath day journey was from the house. So what they would do to get around it is they would put a string on them and attach it to the house. So then they'd walk with the string, and then they could put that down, and then they could walk the Sabbath day journey so that they could get around it from their house. So you see how they were always using the law to try and get around it? So those are the two different theories. I I think it's a combination of both, depending on the individual. I just thought I'd give you that little history nugget there. Just since I'm going to go off monologuing about justice, I was like, well, let's throw in a little bit of ancient history to it. Now, Speaking of changing subjects, let's look at verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So you're kind of like, what in the world? We went from this criminal justice system, and now we're going to talk about animal rights? Like, what's going on here? And literally here in the context, that's what it's talking about. If you have an animal, you need to take care of it. So what you would have is you would have an ox, and it's going around a millstone, Or if they didn't have a millstone, they would just throw the grain on the ground and the ox's hooves would just break it apart and you're separating the chaff from the wheat. But if you were really stingy, you would muzzle that ox so he can't put his head down and chew as he goes. Or if you took a break, he couldn't eat any. You wouldn't want to let him eat any. You want to give him the bad straw. Hey, you don't want him to eat any of the oats. But the Bible says, don't muzzle the ox. If he's doing the work, you need to feed him. That's all it means. There's nothing else. Why do I say that? Because some of you Bible students are like, well, yes, but Paul talks about not muzzling the ox that treads out the grain. Ironically, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which is what we're going to talk about on Sunday. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, don't muzzle the ox. But Paul's not talking about animal rights. What he's talking about? He's talking about ministers of God. He's talking about pastors and leaders. That they should be fed, that they should be provided for because they are separating the chaff from the wheat. They're in the word of God and then they're ministering. So we're going to save that one for Sunday. We're going to put a pin in that one. He also applies that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. He applies that principle. What I want to point out today is this. If you didn't know, if you weren't studying Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, and you just read that in the New Testament, you wouldn't know all of its context. You wouldn't see that gold nugget in there. And when we study Deuteronomy, when we study the book of Leviticus and Exodus, when we're into the book of Numbers later, which we just went through Numbers, and we went through that book, and we went pretty fast. And it's kind of like, man, why are we going through all these names? Why are we going through all these numbers? Why are we going through all these laws? But then we get to the New Testament, and we see them applied. We see that you can't just take these verses at face value, that there are spiritual principles in each and every one of these verses, like not muzzling the ox that treads out the grain. We see that with Jesus, who quotes, out of all the books, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book. And we see him applying those scriptures and him applying those laws. For example, we just recently went through the law of you can eat from your neighbor's uh, vineyard and you can eat from your neighbor's field, but you can't collect it. Remember, anything that you could eat, you could just collect it. And then we saw Jesus apply that text. And then we saw him apply that text when the Pharisees attacked him about it, about King David and eating the showbread. And we saw how that wasn't allowed, but we saw it wasn't breaking the law. And so, again, you always want to look to Jesus on how to interpret Scripture. I'm not saying that you can over-spiritualize every Scripture. I'm saying there's a healthy Holy Spirit balance. Because there's some of us here, we don't spiritualize anything. We just take it for base value. We don't apply it out of context for any reason whatsoever. There's another group of you here in this room that think that Jesus is personally speaking to you out of every single verse you've ever opened to, and there's a secret hidden meeting that's just for you. No, there's not. Occasionally, though, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians, the Bible can give you a gift of prophecy. The Holy Spirit can give you a gift of prophecy where you're sharing from the Word of God something for a brother or sister, and they're like, wow, I really needed to hear that. Or I didn't want to hear that, but I really needed to hear that. And it's just the Holy Spirit in operation. So uh, those things we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians. I just wanted us to take a moment to look at verse 4, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, to give us some spiritual principles, along with take care of your pets. Book of Proverbs says that a man or woman is known by how they treat their animals. Doesn't mean that, remember we got to balance that with Romans that says, do not worship the creature rather than the creator. They're still creatures. They're, they're, not, they're not human beings. I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to say things that are going to hurt some people's feelings and then, you know, we got a church split. Verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. 
And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to that name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Verse 10, And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who has his sandal removed. And you guys might remember that when we were going through the book of Ruth. How we had this situation happen, but we wanted Boaz to get the guy to actually agree to this, to, to say, no, I'm not willing to do it. And so how did they do it? He just passed the sandal and they called it good, remember? And so you see how the application of the law goes into that text. Now, this is foreign and it's strange to us because in the nation of Israel, keeping the family legacy, the family name, heritage was vital because remember the entire judicial system is built on following God's law which is based around the land that is given to the tribes the tribes land has to stay with the tribe so it's vital so going back to verse 4 if we don't apply anything spiritual at all we just say well you know this text doesn't really apply to us that was for them at that day but we see that there is a spiritual application here. God wants us to take care of our families. We can apply other scriptures in their context, like Ephesians chapter 5, like um, other portions of scripture that talk about marriage and family and the role of the husband and how it's a representation of Christ and the church. And we see how vital family and marriage is to life in general, not just Christian life, but to life. And we are to take care of our own families. My grandfather, is he is the strongest male influence I've ever had in my life. I look up to him. He's uh, closer to me than my own father. And before I became a believer, he taught me, you always take care of your own family first. Whatever the charity is, whatever the giving is, and all the organizations, for him it was the church because he was not a fan of the church. He said, you always take care of your, if you want to give charity, you give charity to your own family. Take care of your own family. That's what he taught me. Well, it turns out it's a biblical principle to be taking care of your own. And so look out for that. That being said, are you going to be marrying your brother's widow? Probably not. I don't think that would honor him. <laughs> he may be a little upset when you see him in the kingdom, especially your current wife. But we saw that principle there. Family legacy, heritage, family, and in this case, tribe, is more important than yourself in the Bible. Isn't that foreign to today's, where we just have a divorce for irreconcilable differences, a.k.a. I love you, but I'm not in love with you? It's like, oh, I'm not having any fun anymore. I, I'm infatuated with this other person. Let's destroy this family for my own entertainment. No, self-sacrifice because the family is more important than you. Well, remember, I mentioned earlier that Jesus and the church 
is an example to us of family and why the family is so important. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wife as who loved who? As Christ loved the church, who gave himself for her. Self-sacrificing for others. Giving, denying your own rights, which is what we talked about on Sunday morning, isn't it? And so here's a situation where he has a duty f- to fulfill, to proceed and take care of the family. That means sacrificing yourself. It's, I think it's sad, but in America we are losing another tradition. And that is of a man getting up every single day to a job that maybe he likes or maybe he doesn't. But he's going to show up every single day to sacrifice, to pay for his family, to get his kids through school, to keep the family together, to put a roof over their head. And now suddenly it's starting to be looked down upon. That's what this country was built on. But that male, that man, and I'm not picking on you ladies at all. I'm just, I'm I'm putting on this particular point on purpose, is now being told, well, what's in it for you? You should just stop. Why do you do that? You should just go take a vacation or a break or get another job or don't. No, no. Christians, we are to live for our brides. We are to live, Christian man, live for your bride, live for your family as Christ lived for the church and gave himself as a sacrifice for the church. And so we are to do the same. And we need to look to Christ as our strength because we are his bride. He'll give you the encouragement. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll teach you how. We don't, we don't do this for our own entertainment. This is a difficult thing that the brother would have to do. This is a difficult thing, and it's kind of foreign. And he has to make a decision. Am I going to do what's right in God's eyes and my tribe, my family, or am I going to do what's good for me? Well, Christian, here's a spiritual avocation for us. Now, that could be man or woman. Are you going to do what's right in God's eyes? Are you going to do what's right for the church or for your family? Or are you going to do what's right for you? What you think is right for you? What feels good? Now, if you like shifting gears and you like that we are going in completely different directions, then these are the sermons for you because here we go again. We're in verses 11 through 12. Now, this one, I'm going to tell you right off the bat. You thought you were chuckling before. I don't know what to do with this text. So let's read it together. If two men fight together... And the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals. Then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall not pity her. Verses 13 through 16. (laughs) Verses 13 through 16. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, (coughs) a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God has given you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Doing right in business. No favoritism, no unfairness. Just being fair. You know what's interesting, though? Add a little more sarcasm. It's almost like the Bible knows what it's talking about. 
Because when we see in our society recently with economics, anytime the system tries to cheat itself to, double, to get lots of profit, what happens? It always corrects itself. So if you were in the 2007, 2008 bubble and you knew that they were throwing mortgages out there to people with no jobs, people with no income, people with poor credit, and they were getting these um, swing arm interest loans, variable interest loans, and then all of a sudden, you know, no interest down for a few years, and then they got just hooked, and all of a sudden they had 10, 12, 15, 20% interest, whatever it was, and then those houses were being taken, and it hurt everybody. And, th and the Bible tells us that if you want to be successful in the long term, be fair. That's what it says here, that your days may be lengthened in the land. Maybe, again, thick sar sarcasm alert here, maybe if we did this the Bible's way and we did economics the biblical model, we wouldn't have these seesaw economies. We wouldn't have recessions every so many years. We wouldn't have these crashes every so many years. It's so bad now that economists and stock market brokers and analysts are just analyzing graphs and they can start telling how long the next one will be and how deep and how far because of the yo-yo effect. I, I find it fascinating that the Bible just says, treat it fairly. What do they mean here by a large weight and a small weight? Well, when you were buying, you would put the big weight on there. So they had to put a lot of product to make it even. But when, when you were selling, which weight would you put on there? Well, I want to put the small weight because I want to buy a high price for a little bit of stuff. The Bible say, no, no, no. Use the same for buying and selling. Be fair. Does that mean you can't make a profit? That's not what it's saying. It's not talking about supply and demand. It's just saying use the same measurement. And so we see that today. A certain clientele comes into your office. You think they have more money. You think they're better off. What do you do? You start raising that price up a little bit. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, they can, they can afford it. Then somebody else comes in, and they, they're, they look poor. They're hard on it. They, you know, they can't afford anything. I'm just not even going to wait on them. One of my favorite stories of all time, it happened to me. This is way back in ancient history, like early 2000s. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was selling flooring in the little town, Lompoc, California. Nothing but fields everywhere, ranchers and an Air Force base. There's nothing there. Old town. This man drives up to the store there on 8th Street, the main street downtown, and he's got this rickety 1980s Toyota pickup truck. You know the old one, manual shift, two seats, one seat belt between the both of them, seemed like. He comes out. He's dirty as all can get out. You guys know where it's going, but the story's still good. Got a sombrero on. Mexican man or Mexican heritage comes on in, barely speaks English. He says, what's the best carpet you got? I'm in a good mood this morning. I'm not telling you that I am this guy all the time. I am not. But I'm like, sure, I'll play. And so I go and I give him the whole spiel. We're going through everything. Feel this one, feel that one, settle with that. I'm totally thinking, this is like a joke. This guy's just bored and I'm bored too, so let's just go for it. Well, you know where it's going. This guy just so happens to own the largest ranch in the entire Lompoc Valley. And so he's like, I want five rolls of this. I mean, not rolls like, oh, yeah, a little bit of real carpet. He means like the whole roll, and I want it delivered here. And what, how much does it cost? I'm like, 
this is how much it costs. I'm like, what's it going to pay me three years from now? I kid you not, this guy whoops out the biggest fat wad of $100 bills I've ever seen because he only pays in cash. There it was on the table. Boy, did I have a story to tell. But again, if you don't treat everybody the same, if you, if you just want to act like certain people are worth something and other people aren't, then you're going to get caught. You know what's funny about those stories? They're the exception because the majority of people that look like they got no money have no money. And a lot of the people that look like they do have even less. It's called debt. But the Bible says for us, Christians, just do it all the same. Do it all the same. Fairness, equality. Verses 13 through 16, I already did verses 13 through 16. This is supposed to be 17 through 19 finishing out this chapter, 17 through 19. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. The Amalekites, they were jerks. Have you ever met an Amalekite? Anyone met an Amalekite here? They're gone. Just like God said, they're gone. But you know, as Christians, we live in a world where people are against the word of God. They're against us. They call us bigots. They call us racist. They call us prejudiced. They call us backwards. They call us all kinds of things, ignorant. And um, we're kind of blessed in America that it's mostly name-calling. But things are beginning to change. They're beginning to shift. And, you know, these are the people of God. And they are protected by God. But what does he say here on their way in? These Amalekites were coming behind. They were beating, beating up and taking and stealing and killing the weakest, the slowest, the stragglers, taking advantage of them. And you're like, God, why don't you just smote them then? You did it to other people. You're going to do it to Jericho and, and when you go across the Jordan. You did it to Pharaoh. Why didn't you do it? And we say the same thing now. Like, Lord, why are you letting these ha things happen to your church? Why to the North Korean Christians? Why to the Iranians? Why to the Christian woman in Afghanistan that got saved who's now being forcibly enslaved to a Taliban member and married off. That's your child. That's your princess. Why are you allowing this to happen? Lord, where's your judgment? Oh, it's coming. It's coming. If you read the book of Revelation, God's going to pour out his judgment on the entire planet. And every single one of these things will be judged. It just doesn't happen in the timing we want. But his ways are perfect. And so, 400 years later, from the time this is written, Saul is told to wipe out the Amalekites. And God says, this is the time. And what does Saul do? He doesn't follow through. He does it almost. One of my favorite inside jokes inside the church, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ears that Samuel would say? And then what does Samuel do to the king of the Amalekites? I mean, this is the pastor, right? This is the priest. This is the, the high priest, the leader of God. He says, give me that sword. And he hacks that king to pieces right in front of Saul. He said, when, he's, you, when he says to obey God, he means it. And God's judgment is 
executed. But it's not always in our timing. Trust him, though. The Bible tells us that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will execute his judgment in his time because he is a fair judge and he wants us to be fair as well. So yes, when you're around the water cooler at walk, emphasis on water at work, and you're there and you're, you're being confronted and you're having these discussions and people are bringing these things to you and you just don't have the right answers. God is in control and he, his ways are perfect and just. And, and the whole world can come contrary to the scriptures. But just as it was 400 years later that we had Saul and another 400 years later when the nation of Israel was backsliding and then we had them into captivity and then brought back into the land and then Herod the Great and then Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, comes and then now here we are 2,000 years later from Jesus walking on this planet, dying, resurrecting, and ascending into heaven. And how soon he will come back for his church. All these things and all this time, the word of God has never changed. It will never change. It will always be right. It, his ways will always be perfect. Even if we were the last church and the last people on the planet, he will still be on the throne and his word will never pass away. But we're not. We're not. God has a faithful remnant all over this planet. And he's continuing to see that his perfect law fulfilled in Jesus Christ continues to go out through the gospel of grace. Well, this evening we're going to be uh, praying, interceding. We like to finish off the hour in intercessory prayer on Wednesday nights. And so we're going to pray one at a time so we can all hear and agree with each other in prayer. If you have a silent prayer, please lift it up. We'll be praying for you as well. I want to pray for those that are in authority, all authority, because they've been put there by God. And we want to pray that the Lord refreshes us this evening, equips us to be ready to do his will and purposes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you share all these things with us. We thank you that it never changes, never passes away, never fades. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to teach us and to direct us, not just this evening, but throughout the week as we study, as we gather together, as we pray, and that your will would be accomplished through us. In Jesus' name, amen.